Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome in to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado, and with me, as always, is the Beaver Blitz, our Beaver Blitz beat writer, Carter Baines. Carter, happy Sunday. How are you? It's game week, finally. Super, super excited to finally watch some real Pac-12 football this weekend. It's been almost a year since the Beavs' last game. Yeah, almost exactly a year. November, here we are. It's crazy. It's crazy, and... And we've really only seen them a couple times in the year 2020 because we saw them a couple times in March. And then we got to see that one scrimmage last week that we talked about in last week's pod. But this pod is going to be completely dedicated to the first game and the Washington State Cougars. How excited are you? I mean, we've waited, like you said, almost a whole year for this. Uh, It's been agonizing watching teams across the country play for the last seven, eight weeks or so. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm amped to finally see this team that we have such high expectations for. Yeah, so um, this week, so yesterday on Saturday, Coach Smith met with the media um, and the Beavers named Tristan Jebbia the starter. Not a huge surprise. I mean, that was kind of who I think you and I both were expecting. Um, talk a little bit about what you, what you saw from Tristan. He was also named a captain this week. So um, pretty big deal for uh, Tristan Jebbia. So we've mentioned a couple times, I think, on the pod this year that we're both really impressed with his leadership. Um, That's something that obviously is echoed by the fact that he was named a captain, voted by his teammates. Uh, Every time we talk to him in media availability, we're always, we always come away impressed with just his composure and his knowledge of, of really all things Oregon State football. And that's exactly what you want to see from your starting quarterback. And, you know, when you, when you throw in the fact that he can really sling it too, and he's, he's got some speed with his feet, I think, he brings an element to this offense that Oregon State fans haven't seen in a long, long time. And uh, this, this offense might be, might be just fine with him back there. Yeah, I, like you said, listening to him talk, we always joke about him and his coach speak. He's very political. He ha- always has the right thing to say. Um, coaches have to like that, that they're not, he's not going to give anybody any bulletin board material. Um, but obviously the, the players love him. They kind of rally around him. So um, I'm excited. I mean, we got to see a, a bit of him Civil War last year, and I think a lot of Beaver fans were kind of excited for the future after seeing that, um, what he did on the road in Eugene, and, and he only had, like, seriously, I think he told us on set yesterday, two minutes to kind of let that soak in that he was actually going to be the starter, so he's actually going to have over a week to uh, figure that out now. Um, what do you want to see from the Beavers offensively uh, next Saturday night? I think the big one is the wide receiver room. Um, there's, you know, a lot of questions there with Isaiah Hodgins gone. We've heard that it's going to be wide receiver by committee, but, you know, that's, there's a group of guys there that haven't necessarily been able to perform consistently in the last couple of years. And so that's a big point of emphasis uh, that I'll be keeping an eye on on Saturdays. You know, can these guys get separation downfield? Do they have breakaway speed that they can, you know, that they can cut through defenses and make big plays like we haven't seen uh, really at, at a high rate recently. So those are a couple of big things to watch out for. And then the offensive line is another one. Um, just, you know, we, we don't really know the starting five yet. We'll get a depth chart pretty soon here, I would imagine, on Monday. 
Um, but you know, that's, that's been a group that's been rotating guys through up until even this weekend. So uh, I, I will be curious to see who ends up where on that line. Uh, I will be curious to see if there's any drop off in, in pass protection or in, in opening run lanes from last year. Yeah. Yeah. I think we kind of, I mean, we have kind of penciled in a few, um, you know, right, right tackle, Brandon Kipper, veteran, uh, left tackle in Joshua Gray. Smith still wasn't going to tip his hand on a center though, you know, whether it would be Eldridge, uh, Noose or Jake Levengood. So very secretive around the Valley Center, if you haven't noticed. Uh, lots of things being kept quiet and uh, playing, but it looks like our friends up at Washington State are kind of doing the same thing. Um, let's, let's go back to defensively. What do you want to see from the Beavers defense? I think probably the, the secondary is what most people want to see. You know, we got We have to see elevated production from that group. That's if, if Oregon state's defense is going to be good in 2020, it has to start with the secondary because we know what we're going to get from the linebackers. This defensive line group is deeper than it has been. So really the question is, can the junior college guys come into the secondary and make an immediate impact? Can the returning starter, can the returning starters come back and elevate their performance from last year, force more turn, turnovers? I mean, those are two really key uh, elements to that group. And uh, if, if we see both of those things come true, I think it's going to be a pretty solid pass defense, which obviously uh, the Beavers were lacking in that department last year. Yeah, I mean, no better time to test it. I mean, they're just jumping straight in with a, with a run-and-shoot offense that Nick Rolovich is bringing. So... Um, which which we saw them struggle with last year. They did. They Let's did. Let's not forget, so, you know, it was that was kind of a tale of two halves kind kind of game. But when Hawaii was rolling, it was I mean, you know, third and long, and it was almost automatic. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, we saw it against Washington State as well last last year too with the air raid. You know, pass happy offenses uh, kind of had a field day with this Oregon State defense. So yeah, I mean it's. That's going to be the big question. So, you know, a couple things we learned this week. Um, Tristan Jebbia actually told us that he's been watching Wyoming film from last year to uh, get a better idea about what um, the Cougars defense will be bringing. Um, defensively, Coach Tibisart said they've been watching a lot of Hawaii film, which isn't completely unexpected as well. And, you know, Coach Tibisart actually said they feel confident about coming up against Rolovich and uh, that air raid just because they have seen what, what they want to try to accomplish with Hawaii last year. Um, the Kooks, we, we haven't dove into our tale of the tape yet. Carter will be bringing that later in the week, but you know, some familiar names. Um, Borgie is back. The Borgie, the big talker who guaranteed a win last year. I'm sure Oregon State would like to uh, maybe, you know, pay back for that one. Quarterback, when I said that the Cougars are being, quiet and secretive as well supposedly Rolovich has let the quarterbacks know who will be the starter but he will has not told the media now all accounts that I've read believe it's going to be true freshman Jaden Delora from uh, St. Louis High School in Honolulu have you have you seen anything different Carter no nope, that's exactly what I've heard uh, everybody on the on the Cougar team knows who the starting quarterback is it's just uh, a matter of uh, it's kind of a waiting game for everybody else, really. None of the local media up there knows. Um, you know, Oregon State obviously doesn't know, and that's how that's how Nick Rolovich wants it. Bit of a secretive guy, like you mentioned. 
And, uh, you know, throwing a true freshman out there against an improved defense is going to be something to watch. I think it gives Oregon State a pretty good opportunity to kind of make a name for itself on that side of the ball uh, right away in week one. Do, do you think it helps Oregon State um, if they do face true freshman uh, Delora, being that, A, he's on the road, he's a true freshman, uh, and B, rattle him early and, and see what you can do. Do you think that will help Oregon State? Yeah, you know, I don't want to discredit him because I know he's a, a solid recruit, comes in as a, a high three-star guy. So, you know, obviously to win any quarterback competition, you have to have a skill set that can compete at the Pac-12 level. But if there's a spot to get a true freshman quarterback, I mean, I mean this, this really lines up very well for Oregon State's defense to get a guy who has not played in a single game, who has had a really bumpy offseason in terms of, you know, being able to meet with his teammates and having a a brand new coaching staff. So, I mean, not necessarily a hostile environment necessarily with, uh, with no fans in there, but on the road too. I mean, this is, it's really a tough spot to get your first career start. So I think if there's an opportunity for the Beavers defense to make a statement early, it would be in a game like this where you have a, an inexperienced guy coming in for his first game. Yeah. Yeah. So that it'll be interesting. Like you said, no real home field advantage, I guess. There would be some, if you want to consider that the Beavs will be sleeping in their own beds the night before. Um, they have done away with the actual going to the hotel the night before home games, which I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Carter? I mean, do you think that could help, hurt? I mean, they've always yeah, you know, done it, but sleeping in your own bed might be a good thing. It's definitely an interesting di dynamic because a lot of these guys who have been here for multiple years are used to that, that kind of routine and you know, any sport is, every sport out there is routine based. You want to have the same routine going into every game. And so for some of these guys, maybe that's a bit of a disruption. I don't know. Um, Coach Smith actually addressed this idea. I, I believe it was Coach Smith. It might've been one of the coordinators, but um, kind of touched on it before. It might actually be a good thing being able to kind of sleep in your own bed, like you mentioned the night before the game and, and not have to disrupt your, your day-to-day -day approach. Yeah. Uh, and they'll stick with their routine on game day. It's a 7.30 kick, so a little later uh, than they're probably used to with these morning practices. It'll be inter interesting to see if they actually move some of their practices this week till evening. So they have been going, the whole month of October has been early, early morning. So um, we haven't got this week's schedule, although we know that they're practicing today, Sunday. They're practicing Monday and then Tuesday for the election is their day off. Um, and then they'll come back Wednesday, Thursday, walk through Friday, and then the game. So I, I saw the odds just came out, and the Cougs are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Shocking to me, Yeah, really. yeah, me too. I, I don't I mean, there's, see that. There's, there's nothing there that lends me to believe that Washington State is the better team, especially when you consider continuity and, yeah, and, I mean, and the guys that come back roster-wise and on the coaching staff. Yeah. I mean – I mean, this was a one-point game last year, and I think everything since then has gone Oregon State's way, and really nothing has gone Washington State's way. Yeah, I saw Rolovich has um, had come out and said that they have installed about 65% of the offense. Again, though, how much of that is routine? At least with Oregon State, it's the same coaching staff three years in a row. Um, Jebbia has been here. He knows the offense. He knows the cadence. He knows the, the calls. So, um, yeah, I don't – I mean, that's basically – that would be like a touchdown – uh, you know, because yeah, because if, if if you get three points for home field, that's a uh, a six and a half point swing lean towards Washington State. 
so I, I'm just curious about that. And I don't want to sound like I have orange colored glasses and, but I just, I'm really curious about why Vegas thinks that way. So we'll, we'll get to our predictions for this game at the very end of the pod. Um, but what will a week one success look like for you? Well, I think a week one success obviously is a win. Um, and, and I think Oregon State has the opportunity to win convincingly. Um, so, so I would say a, a two touchdown win, in my opinion, is, I don't know if I'm going into this game expecting it, but I will be impressed and, and, you know, pleased to see them come away with a two touchdown win. Now, in the case that it's a close game, I think a win is that we see improvement in the secondary and they can compete with a run and shoot pass heavy offense. We see them shut down Max Borgie because obviously run defense has been a weakness of this team as well. And, and we know how strong Max Borgie, Max Borgie runs. So um, I will be looking mostly on the defense against an opponent like this for uh, if I'm going to consider this week a win, I, I need to see improvement there. Offense, I think will take care of itself. I, I don't think they're going to have any issues moving the ball against Washington state's defense, which is suspect at best. Yeah. Um, okay. So you think a two touchdown win, I'm not going to disagree with you because I, I do think this is a win for the Beavs, and I think they're coming in expecting a win. Do you want to see, I know Oregon State's defense in the secondary, what you're talking about, has really struggled in the takeaway category. Probably see some new faces on, on Saturday night in that secondary, but how many, do you, do you want to see two picks? Do you want to see four picks? I mean, obviously you want to see four picks, but what would be a success there um, as far as interceptions? Yeah, really just multiple. Offense. multiple interceptions um I, I wouldn't be surprised to see one at least uh but i would hope to see two or three especially with as we've talked about true freshman quarterback coming in who is unfamiliar with the system really everybody on that roster is unfamiliar with the system so i think there is the potential there for some really really sloppy play for washington state's offense and you know if if oregon state's defense is truly improved they should be able to capitalize on those opportunities so i would say two to three interceptions would would be where I would lean towards saying, okay, I think we're on the right track here. Yeah, I, we, we talked with um, Isaiah Dunn this week um, during media availability, and he was asked the question about not have, you know, not being a, a big interception. I don't think he's had, he's not had an interception since he's been at Oregon State. Not a single one, no. Which is crazy. Which is surprising because yeah. he, he is such a great on-ball defender. But it was interesting to hear his answer, and I, I can appreciate it, because he was asked about if he's focusing on, on interceptions this year. And he said, well, he's always focusing on interceptions, that he tries not to focus, make that his primary focus, because he feels that if he's worried about one thing too much, that he'll let other things slide, which I thought was, was fair, you know? Right, and, and there is some give and take when you're playing defense on the ball, because you can't sell out for the pick and then give up a big play, so... You have to be smart about, you know, do you go tackle first? Do you just put one hand up and, and kind of wrap around the wrap around the guy to bring him down if he catches it? So, yeah, I, th I think that's a fair approach. You don't want to sell it for the pick all the time. But I, I think that that is – Isaiah Dunn is the kind of guy who often finds himself in the position to make a play on the ball. So maybe we see him take a more aggressive approach this year. I don't know. That's something that we'll have to wait and see. But I do think that he's going to get at least one or two picks on the season. Yeah, yeah, and I want to. This wasn't on our, our pre, pre uh, podcast sheet, but I want to ask you this question because it came into the lodge 
Um, and I think it's a good question. It's, it's a fair question going back over to the wide receivers. Oregon State has improved speed tremendously over the past three years uh, as far as their speed at wide receiver. But they've done so maybe at the cost of height and, and, and length. Does Oregon State, so, you know, Isaiah Hodges was really the go-to guy last year. I mean, that was where they went. Had some Champ, had some Colby, Taylor. Do you think this group is going to have trouble? Are they going to get, um, you know, tied up at the line of scrimmage? Or do you think they'll be able to uh, make some plays? Yeah, there is the potential for that. And we saw Isaiah Hodges, I mean, don't get me wrong. He, he had incredible footwork, right? But a lot of times he would he would go up and sky over these, these shorter defenders and make plays just because he was taller than them. And that's something that the Beavers really aren't going to have this year. And so um, that is one of the reasons I think we see the tight ends a lot more. I know we might talk about this later on, but Luke Musgrave, I think, is going to be a huge part of the passing game for that reason alone. Having a big body down the middle and then also somebody, somebody who can you know, run along the sidelines and just kind of leap up and make plays over the top of guys. Um, but in terms of the receivers themselves, I do think that you can make up for a lack of height with strength. And that's where we see someone like Isaiah, or um, sorry, Zariah. Zariah, Beeson, yeah. Zariah Beeson making plays is because he's kind of this freak athlete strength-wise as a true freshman who can, you know, I, I don't want to say who pushes off or anything, but who can create separation with his, with his body and not rely on speed. Is what you're worried about are the guys getting jammed at the line, the, the smaller guys. Um, yeah, I think, I think you're exactly, you've, you've hit it right on. I think what we see, and I, I think instead of seeing maybe one or two guys focused in the wide receiver room, I think Oregon State is going to have several weapons. It might take some teams a while to figure that out. But not only do you have the run game with, with BJ and Jamar, but Tristan's going to have those speedy receivers. You know, a Zara, and I do think Zariah Beeson gets the start. Um, I do, I've heard from several sources, he is the most physical receiver in the room. So, you know, I think we see a champ starting and then Trevon Bradford. So you have those three weapons. If they try to jam those guys with the line, like you said, then that's when you send Musgrave out or even Tegan, who I think has improved a ton as, as a pass catching tight end. Um, and then it, it nullifies that. So then if you have guys having to, to protect against that, then you might be able to get the ball into those speedy, speedy play yeah, hands exactly and then with with the speed that you have there too uh you know don't count out the short passes turning into big plays as well because a lot of times you can get these guys open in a quick slant or on a screen and then they can make a play with their feet which is i, I think where a lot of these guys strength lies mm -hmm. um you look at like a tajon Lindsay or a josiah irish it's breakaway speed for them and so if you can get them the ball at all um even like in the running game, we've seen Tajon Lindsay used on fly sweeps as well. They just want to get those guys the ball because if they get into the open space, it's it's over for the defense really with that kind of speed. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm excited. Um, I think I'm cautiously optimistic about what we see. Um, switching gears, so typically now in the podcast, we would be switching to the damn questions. And I apologize. I probably am not quite on my game yet for game week. It's It's not snuck up on me, but we typically take pod, I'm used to taping podcasts like on Wednesday or Thursday and Carter and I've switched them to Sundays. So I have a note on my calendar to remind me to put damn questions out there on Twitter and in the lodge. I'm going with Thursday and then we can discuss them on, on Sunday post game. 
that being said, if, if you come up with a question in your head, tweet us or put it in the lodge. Put, you know, at, it's at Carter Baines and that's Carter and then Baines is B-A-H-N-S or at Angie Machado one on Twitter. So just hashtag that damn questions and, and we'll file it away for the week. But that being said, we had a really good question this week in the lodge. We do um, our weekly lodge VIP chat. And so if you're not a member of the lodge, this is where you need to be. And it's also a great time to join Beaver Blitz because no one's going to be in the stadium except for Carter and me sometimes. I'm not going to the 7.30, but I'll be on watching it. So that means the lodge is going to be the place to be to watch a game. Carter and I will be in the lodge. We'll be doing a live thread, live updates. So, you know, grab your favorite beverage on your couch with your big screen and jump in the lodge because that's where we're going to be. But a question for you, Carter. And you know this is coming because we kind of talked about this, but I think it's a really good one. Who is your offensive breakout? Who has a, a breakout season this year on offense? So we did answer this in the lodge before, and the, the two of us combined kind of gave multiple guys. So I'll let you answer as well. But um, I'll, use, I'll use one of the guys that you pointed to, oh! which is Joshua Gray um, at, at left tackle. When was the last time we saw a uh, – a, a freshman come in and fill that big of a role right away. Now I, I will say he's been, you know, working with the team and everything for the last couple of years, uh, gray shirt year, red shirt year. And now he's, he's coming in here as a starter, but I'm really excited to see what he brings in terms of uh, a combination of strength and in that kind of like versatility uh, at left tackle. He's got big shoes to fill with Blake Brandell leaving, but I, I think it speaks volumes to just his ability um, that he's kind of solidified his, his role there throughout camp and not really been one of the guys who's been rotated around. We've seen more of that rotation at guard and center. Um, so for a redshirt freshman to, to really solidify his role there at really what is probably the toughest position on the line, um, that, that speaks a lot about yeah. his ability. I, and especially, I think there was a lot of people at the end of last year who actually thought we'd see Brandon Kipper move to left Joshua Gray to right. And um, when you have Coach Mahalachek, who has been around a long time around this game, say that, no, Joshua Gray is a you know, prototypical left tackle. It's, I, I can't argue with that selection at all. I, you know, will he have some lumps? Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's just going to happen. But um, yeah, think back. I mean, if you can get, I mean, Blake Brandell was a four-year starter. How amazing could that be for another freshman to have four years starting at mm -hmm. left tackle. I mean, just and potentially time. more with, with this year not well, counting towards that right. ability. He could be a five-year starter. Five-year starter. Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but, you know. That's, so <laughs> All I, right, now it's your turn. Your turn. Who my turn? Have? Okay, so I am going with, we've talked about him briefly, and this was the guy we heard all camp. Zariah Beeson, wide receiver out of Texas, um, arrived on campus in January, so he was – He's had time to acclimate, but really has spent that time wisely, um, not only in the, the first, you know, fall camp and, or the spring camp and the um, lead up in January before all the COVID hit. Um, he's also spent so much time working on his body, working on the playbook. And to, and to hear Coach Smith talk about his, and, and Coach Lindgren, his maturity as a true freshman, his work ethic, um, his strength, and then knowing the Beavers offense. I mean, Oregon State's offense is not a simple, easy offense. And so for a freshman to really have the coaches confident in what he knows and how he can run the routes, 
I think that's gonna, it's, it's important. And I think we see some big things from him. Do you have any more? Um, I, I could stay in the wide receiver room and go with Colby Taylor. Yeah. I know we didn't mention him when we were talking about who, who could start. We didn't really mention him in that group, but I, I think he will probably rotate in with Champ Flemings like he did last year. Um, and as, as a possession first guy, that might be kind of what Oregon State needs is someone who's reliable over the middle. Um, you know, he can play in the slot. He can play on the outside. So I think he's a guy that could actually step in and maybe even contend for the team lead in receptions as, as somebody who's a reliable guy who you can throw to and he kind of just absorbs the ball. Good, good choice. And I, I think it goes without saying that Tristan Jebbia has to be on the list, but um, I'm going with Luke Musgrave because I think, um, as we've talked about, I, I think we saw some glim, glimmer, glimpses of him uh, last season as a true freshman, but I, I think this year, um, especially if we have, if the Beavers have the season that I think a lot of people think they could have, they're going to need uh, Luke Musgrave to take that next step forward. Yeah, if the passing game is going to be firing on all cylinders, Luke Musgrave has to be a huge part of it. Um, and what we saw in the scrimmage leads me to believe that he will uh, with that 25-yard catch that, in my opinion, in, in real time looked like it was a touchdown. Um, but yeah, I think we'll see a lot of that where he can kind of just streak down the sideline and and act like that Isaiah Hodgins type with that big body. How about, what do you think, um, do you think we see him as a freshman? I mean, with this year not counting, I mean, someone like Jake Overman, who did have a touchdown in the, the second scrimmage, do you think we see him or Tommy Spencer? They were names we heard during fall camp a little bit. Yeah, you know, Coach Smith said that a lot of those true freshmen would be mostly limited to special teams, but the, the couple of guys that he did mention were Zariah Beeson, who we've talked about, and then the two tight ends. So I think if we're going to see true freshmen on the field, it's going to be Tommy Spencer, Jake Overman, Zariah Beeson. But outside of that, don't really know yet, just based off of what Coach Smith has said to this point. Yeah. Okay, so moving to defense, who do you have um, as a break? I mean, a lot of familiar faces on defense, so I don't really know if you can say breakout, but who do you have for uh, defense? I'll go with Simon Sandberg on the defensive line. Good one. Yeah. Uh, he really came on late last year. Um, with He was in that group of junior college guys that you know, weren't really ready to make a huge impact early in the year, but as they kind of got more and more familiar in the system, got acclimated to the FBS level, uh, we saw him put up some pretty impressive numbers late in the year. I know he had, uh, I want to say, three sacks against Cal. Um, so, you know, look for that at a higher rate this year. Um, he's he's somebody who lines up on the line, but he can get into the backfield like like Rashid and Gums can at, at that edge rusher spot. He's got that level of speed and strength to be able to to push past blockers. So he's going to be really active in the passing game. And, you know, with, uh, with the defensive tackle, whoever that ends up being, and, and um, Isaac Hodgins being more involved in the run game, look for them to use uh, Sandberg in more of that pass rushing role along with the outside rushers at the linebacker spot. I'm going to kind of piggyback onto that because I think we were also hearing a lot about James Rawls. So another junior college player who, um, kind of got his feet wet last season, didn't play as much as, as Sandberg did, but we heard a lot about him this fall. Um, so I think another one now that I think it just takes maybe that year for those junior college guys to really to, to click with the system, but I think he's one. Anybody else? Yeah, speaking of junior college guys, I'll, I'll go to the secondary now with Alton Julian. Uh, looks like he's probably going to be a starter at safety and 
we talked about some of those junior college guys taking a few games to get into the mix. Well, I mean, he's a guy who's, who looks like he's ready week one and he came away with a pick in the scrimmage. He was, he was called out of bounds, but uh, the coaches went back and looked on it, looked on tape and said that he, he was able to stay in and make that pick. So he's already making plays in scrimmage. Uh, he's pretty much solidified himself, I think, as a starter. And um, he's one of the big names that came in from the junior college ranks this year. He's potentially, uh, I want to say, either the highest ranked or second highest ranked guy yeah. in that junior college class that came in. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he's going to be a huge part of the defense week one. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm going to I'm going to take a different a different route here. I, I'm going to go with a linebacker, which linebackers are pretty much set. I mean, Avery Roberts. Um, you're, when you look at middle linebackers, I don't think there's a spot on the team that's as deep as the middle linebacker group. But I'm going to say Jack Coletto is one to watch. Um, he he's a backup, obviously. I mean, with Avery and Omar as kind of the the anchors there, but. From what we saw of him um, being a team player, I mean, he's in on everything. He wants to be in on everything. Um, and then we've heard a lot from the coaches about him in the middle linebacker role and really embracing it and picking it up. So he's one that I'm going to watch a little bit closer because I think we might see his number call. Yeah, it's a great pick. And it's going to be hard for a lot of guys to find extended playing time in that group because I think they will be rotating through a lot. And we, we know that there is really, really, really good talent at the top of the depth chart. So um, I, I think he might be one of those guys that makes an impact early on and can kind of solidify his role in what's going to be a pretty heavy rotation. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting because we ran Friday. We ran the Beaver Blitz, our predictions for the two deep. When, when we got to the linebacker outside and inside, it was hard because there are really like 10 guys, 10, 12 guys that could really – see a lot of playing time. I, I just think we see a huge rotation um, and whether you're a starter or not, you're going to see a lot of minutes if you're making the plays. And genuinely, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that every single one of those guys could be a starter in this league. Um, it's just that Oregon State has really the deepest and most talented linebacker group in this conference. And so you can only put four guys on the field in that starting lineup. But I, I think there are guys below them who could start if if one of these, let's say somebody goes down with injury, you're not going to see a drop off if Jack Coletto comes in to fill Avery Roberts' spot. It was so interesting, is like when I when I was kind of working it out before I sent it to you, Carter. It was I had to do some orders because it was like, how do you leave a Matthew Tago or a uh, um, John McCartan off the list? But yet, or even Andre Hughes, Murray, or just depending on who's who's healthy and available. It was crazy the the kind of depth there. So um, I think. That is, uh, you know, I, I think those are some great names, and we'll just see how how correct we are at the end of the year. Talking about the rest of the Pac-12 a little bit, who is who? I mean, who do you think is going to shine in the Pac-12 North and Pac-12 South this year? So let's start in the North. Um, Oregon, obviously, the favorite. They've got a talented roster. Um, I, I think that this year could be. I don't want to say a down year for them, but when you look at the guys who left from last year's team and then the guys who have opted out so far this fall, they have to replace, I, I would say, probably more production than anybody in this conference. And if let's be fair, if there's a team that's equipped to do that, it's Oregon. We know that they recruit well on a national scale, um, but that's tough to replace your entire offensive line, your four-year starter at quarterback, um, most, most, if not all of your secondary, 
I mean, how, how do you replace that much production and not fall a little bit? So I don't, I don't know, maybe we see them fall, maybe we don't, but I, I think there are more questions in Eugene this year than maybe a lot of people are willing to admit. Do you, do you think the shortened season and the fact that it's going to be tough, I think, even for an undefeated Pac-12 team, depending on what happens with the rest of the, of the Power Five, but do you think... I mean, do you think that there might be a lack of motivation or less want, not a want, but a less, less motivation, I guess, to, uh, to try like exceedingly hard? You know, I haven't really thought about that, but I would say with the way that the college football season has gone so far, we've seen the Big 12 completely just fold. Mm -hmm. I mean, they might be out of the playoff conversation altogether, even if the Pac-12 doesn't take the field this year. And then there's also been upsets every single yeah. week. It seems like a top five team or a top eight team is going down every week. So I, well, I really next think. Week, next week you have Notre Dame playing mm -hmm. Clemson without Trevor Lawrence. Exactly. So there, I mean, that could be your number one team going down. So what I'm trying to say here is with so much uncertainty in that top 10, I, I think even in a, a six or seven game regular season here for the Pac-12, you can't take a week off and you have to be motivated all the time because I don't think that it is unlikely um, or sorry, I don't think it's unrealistic to say that a Pac-12 team will make it into the playoff. Um, even, you know, even a one loss Pac-12 team, really, if, depending on who that loss comes to, I don't think that they're out of it. Okay. Even, I mean, I, I, I was watching some uh, Mountain West yesterday. So then last night, so then there's talk of a BYU or um, Boise State or a San Diego State. Thing, or Cincinnati. I mean, then you have that whole group of five. Do you take a group of five undefeated team over that has played eight to 10 games over a seven game Pac-12, maybe with a loss? Anyway, it's totally, that'll be another day podcast. So anybody else in the Pac-12 um, North, peak your interest. Yeah. Yeah. I look at Cal as a, a contender there. See, everybody um, talks Cal and I get it, but it's still Cal. I just, I, I, I don't know. Me, it is hard. hard. It is definitely hard to wrap your head around that. But if they're going to make a leap, this is the year they're going to do it. They bring back almost everybody. They've got Chase Garbers at quarterback, who we know when he is healthy, he just wins games. That's just, he just wins games. That's what he does. Uh, so yeah, I, th I think that's a roster that is ready to take a step forward. And I don't think they finish lower than third in the North. Whether they're able to compete with Oregon for the title, I don't know. Um, but I, I think they're going to be right there in the mix up until that last week. So, so your, your top two Pac-12 North would be Cal and Oregon? Yeah. Okay. And, and I, don't know, I don't know what order that will fall into, but those are my two picks to, to come out of the North. Okay. How about South? South, I think it's USC's division to lose. And I, I feel like we say this every year going into the season, and then they completely just collapse. But – um, you know, Clay Helton's coaching for his job there. It's, he's on the hot seat every year. And I, to be honest with you, I don't know how he's still there, but with, with <laughs> the expectation, that too. <laughs> with, yeah, exactly. With, with the roster he has and with the expectations they have, I mean, he has to go six and one at least in that division. Otherwise it's, it's not going to be good down there in LA, but um, Arizona state, I don't know, pretty, pretty solid contender there. And uh, obviously you've got Utah who won the, the, the division last year as well. So there's going to be competition in the South, but I, I do think USC is the most complete team in that division. 
who, what about UCLA? Do you see, I, I mean. No, no, I, I, I'm not willing to go there. Do you, do you think, um, Chip, do you think he's on the hot seat? You know, it's still early for him. Uh, this is what, year three? Is this year three for him? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so, but they have a new AD there that didn't hire him. That's what you always true. have to look at when there's new ADs. True. Yeah, it's still early. I, th I think year three um, is the year that you have to make a step forward. Otherwise, people are going to start asking some real questions. And I know that there are some culture questions there uh, in Westwood as well. So, yeah, kind of a make or break year, I think, for Chip. Okay, so I think it's time to make our prediction for this week, Washington State, Oregon State. Let's see here. Carter, are you going with two touchdown win? Yep, I'm going to go, let's go 42 to 28. Thieves okay. win by 14. Okay, 42 points. That's bold. Well, Washington State's defense, I mean, that's, they leave a lot to be desired. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to have to come up with mine. I should probably write it down because we'll do our, our preview picks too. But um, I'm going to go – I think Oregon State wins as well. I don't think it's close. I'm going to go 34, and I'm going to go 14. Ooh, blowout. Yeah. Three touchdown win. I'm going with that because I think Oregon State's defense is going to be strong. And I think uh, – going to rattle. I think the game plan is going to be to rattle the young quarterback early and often. I, I, you know, after, after, uh, after hearing your prediction, I, I kind of like that a little <laughs> more actually with, you know, still winning big and still scoring some points, but Washington State's offense, now that I think of it, yeah, I, I don't know if I trust them to score four touchdowns. So I, I, I kind of, I'm liking your prediction a little more than mine. I, I might make my, my prediction subject to change and, and yeah, my, alter that I, later I, in the I, week. Now that, you, see, now that I said that too, I, I think Oregon State's defense is going to be really good. But yeah, exactly. it's still going to be an air rate offense that they're going up against that can score points in a hurry. True. Yeah, I mean, you know what? really, really, we just don't know anything about. Yeah, we don't. State I mean, next, next week will be better. I mean, maybe, maybe thirty-four twenty-one might be a little, little better. I don't know. Somewhere in there. But what we have, what we have established here is Oregon State's going to move the ball. They're going to score points. Washington State's probably going to struggle with that a bit, and we both think Oregon State comes away with a big win. Big win. And the Beaver train will start rolling. So Carter. We got one week. Beaver fans, make sure you're checking out beaverblitz.com for all the latest from this week as we prepare. We'll be breaking down the depth chart, um, breaking down opponent previews. Carter will do his uh, weekly tale of the tape later in the week, which is always totally worth the read. Um, and then, like I said, get into the lodge. Lots of great discussion. That's where we post the good juicy nuggets of info that we hear from all of our sources inside and outside of the Valley Football Center. So um, get in the lodge and then come join us on Saturday night, 7.30 kickoff, FS1. Join Carter and I in the lodge at Beaver Blitz um, for a fun VIP chat filled football game. And, and hopefully we're celebrating a Beaver win. Carter, you probably have midterms this week. So get that stuff done so you can enjoy the week. And I've, I've got one today, actually. How did you know? <laughs> life of a student nothing so, nothing like a sunday midterm right oh that's just see back before covid and you didn't have online classes you didn't have to worry about that exactly 
best of luck to you, Carter. I know you'll kill it. And uh, that is another episode. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Damn Podcast. We'll be back next week, next Sunday, with another episode talking about that big beaver victory. <laughs>